Hi, I'm Kira from Deacon Christian Union, and I'm going to be reading God's Word with you. We'll be reading James 4, 13 to 17, um, and it's on page 1,268 of the Church Bible. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Well, I'm extremely thankful to the deacon team and your wonderful and faithful and joyful service with us this past week. So thank you uh, for being with us and hopefully you've been encouraged in your own faith and your own walk with the Lord. Well, we're going to look at this, this passage. It's only a short passage, only a few verses, but extremely relevant. And so let's pray once again that God will help us understand it well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, we thank you that you continue to speak to us. And your word is powerful and it changes and transforms lives. We pray, Lord, that you might do that now, even as we sit and hear it again. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at the moment, sitting here this evening, I wonder what your hopes are, what your dreams are. What is it that you're longing for? Some of us, I'm sure, will be super organized some of you perhaps not very organized at all but we all have plans and dreams don't we now when i was young do you know what my dream was my dream as a young boy was to one day become an astronaut and that's because i always was always fascinated with all things space the planets the comets their asteroids the space shuttles i was fascinated with all things space so grand so big so vast and that's why I studied a course with the word space in it. But now look at where that got me. Here with you this evening, fixed on earth. But I am thankful to God that I'm here with you. And my wife Yvonne, she also had dreams and plans when she was young. As a young girl who enjoyed dancing and ballet, out of all things she enjoyed that. But do you know what her dream was as a young girl? You'll never guess this. Her dream, all she wanted was in fact quite simple. To be a wife and not to work. That was her dream, the sum total of her dream. So ambitious, this wife of mine. Well, half her dream was fulfilled. She married a, a dashing man. <laughs> but the other half of her dream, well, not yet fulfilled and perhaps never will be. 
to not work, she'll have to work. She'll continue to work as a wife, as a mother. You continue to work all the time. In fact, as a Christian, as a child of God, you are always working in service. But what about you? What are your dreams and plans? And how many of our plans, in fact, come true? How often we plan, we devise, we prepare, but nothing happens according to our plans. So you're heading to that important meeting that you need to be at. But then it's the car accident, and so the meeting's off. The uni course that you were so intended on studying, but you didn't get the marks for. The job that you were hoping for, the promotion that should have been yours, but it went to someone else more qualified. The guy you really, really hoped you would one day marry, but he ended up marrying someone else. The holiday you were planning months for, that you're hoping will be so good and relaxing, but the flights were cancelled. The wedding that everyone was anticipating, planned months ahead, called off. The retirement super that you were building over decades, hoping to be enough for your retirement to make you comfortable, but then the market crashes. The long life you were hoping for, but cut short. See, all it takes, if you think about this, all it takes is just one phone call or one text, and your world is turned upside down. Whatever plans or dreams you had is now scrapped and in the rubbish bin. Just one phone call or one text. I mean, have you ever received a text or a phone call where the message was, the diagnosis is no good? It's worse than we expected. It was just this afternoon, a call like that. Or a call like this. This mother we know went into labour but gave birth to a stillborn baby. Just one phone call. And that was just the other week that I received a call like that. Or a text like this about one of our members. Mum just passed away an hour ago. That was Friday night. And so what are we to make of our plans, our dreams? We all have plans, but so often our plans do not go according to plan. And so that's what we'll be reflecting on this evening from these few verses. And as we reflect on these verses, we're in fact also reflecting on our own hearts. Because these plans that we may have reveal what our heart is like, who we live for, what we live for. And so let's have a look. Let me encourage you, if you don't already, have your Bibles open to James chapter 4. James here, he, he begins by calling everyone to sit up, listen up. Those of you, just come now. Those of you who think this way or speak this way. Those of you who have proud plans, who are... Uh, who are overconfident, presumptuous, sit up and listen. And what example does he give? Well, the one who says, Today I will go and make money. Today I'll go about my business and seize the day. 
Today I will fulfill my dreams, whatever they may be. You see that, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now when you hear that, you might be thinking, who on earth speaks that way? But perhaps the way we speak about it is far more subtle. Perhaps it's a bit like this. I'm going to finish school and then I'm going to university and then I'm going to get a job that my course gets me into. I'm going to make money and then I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have children and then I'm going to wait around for grandchildren. That might be your plan. Unspoken, but that may be your plan. Or I'm going to work for five years and then I'll go out and work for myself. I'll be my own boss. Or I'm going to go on an adventure around the world and live it up for a while. Or I'm going to invest in the share market, build up my property portfolio so that I can retire young. Now perhaps we don't have the audacity to speak out loud and to say that out loud. But do we think it? Do you think it? Recently I, I spoke to a young man. A young man who had a good job, who has a good job. He shared with me some rough patches he recently had in life and they were quite rough. And I said to him, well, it's great. You're here, you're exploring Christianity. It's brilliant, thinking about the meaning and purpose of life. It is good you're thinking about this. And then he shared with me, well, here are my priorities now at this moment. First, I'm attending an entrepreneurial program because I want to I retire young, so I want to make sure I have the skills so that I can set myself up, work for myself. That's my first priority. Second is this. I'm on about my performances, what I can do in front of people. And then third, then I might think about Christianity and try to get that sorted. They're my priorities. Now, what do you think when you hear someone say that and share that with you? What do you think? Well, in the eyes of the world, it sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? It sounds like a good plan. You can sympathize with that, wouldn't you? If you don't plan, you don't get. So you better plan so that you will get. But inside, as I was listening to this young man, I was thinking, are you so sure? that that will happen. But I wonder whether we here this evening think that way too, just with different priorities. Priorities about our own life, priorities for even our children's life. What I've been seeing more and more so uh, from parents who did not have while they were growing up. Now they live their lives through their children. And so we plan and we plan and we plan, we get organised and we think we have it all in the bag because we planned. See, proud plans, that's what James is speaking out against. But it's, it's really the way of much of the world. It's captured in that poem, Invictus, by William Henley. I heard it read once at a wedding by the best man for the groom. And the words are, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It sounds so motivating. But what does God think? 
What does God think about anyone who speaks or thinks that way? Well, James here, he responds with a, a scoff. Oh, really? Make all the plans you like. You have no idea what will happen tomorrow. In fact, you don't even know what will happen tonight, this evening. This past week, when the students from Deakin University, when they went around door knocking, they did not plan for it to be raining, but it did. And they went out anyway. So good of them. This past week, I did not plan for a super busy, crazy week, but it was. This next week, I had no plans to conduct a funeral, but I'll have to. And I suspect your week might have been a bit like that as well. And so try to feel the scoff of Jamesy to those who think their plans are so certain. Look at verse 14. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? It's so clear and it's so blunt. I mean, can any one of us here guarantee what will happen tomorrow? Can you guarantee it? Not at all. We might be smart, and many of you are brilliant, intelligent, perhaps even powerful, but we have no control over even tomorrow let alone our future. That remains in the domain of God. And so do you see why plans that are planned proudly, overconfidently, is just plain arrogance, and it is in fact in defiance of God. You see, we might like to think the way of the world, my life is mine, I'll do with it as I please, when I please and how I please. And if I think that way, I'm just kidding myself. And it is in defiance of God. The future is not in my hands, but it is in God's hands. And so James now, he makes a sobering point, which we all know to be true, but we rather not admit. And that point is the frailty of the human life. Because how frail is the human life? How long is a lifetime? It might be 80 years 90 years or even 100 years. But from God's perspective, what is it? It's but a mist. The morning breath in the cool air, as soon as you breathe it out, it disappears and vanishes. That is how God sees the human life. And I suspect we all know that the human life is so frail. That phone call about the mother who gave birth to a stillborn baby. Who gets pregnant planning that of course not you want to bring home a child but that just shows the frailty of human life but a mist and I still remember this four years ago quite vividly and I remember this because this phone call happened on the morning after my birthday so I will never forget it the 24th of October four years ago I got a phone call in the morning woke me up and the phone call was, I've got some sad news, John. Tim, who's been at your church, who's been attending your church, he was in a car accident and he was killed. Only 25 years old. He was part of our growth group, known by many of us still who love him. Got in touch with the parents just the other week, the 24th of October, because I'll never forget it now. It's the anniversary of it got in touch with them just to see how they're going. You never forget that. 
but you see the frailty of human life, but a mist. Even if God grants us 100 years, 110 years, from God's perspective, it's still but a mist. And so you see verse 14, have a look. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And that's the human life. Here today, gone tomorrow, and soon forgotten. Here today, gone tomorrow, and soon forgotten. And perhaps just to help us all sense how frail our life might be, human life humanity's life might be and how easily it is forgotten uh, i've got a little exercise for us put your hands up if you know the name of your father hopefully all the hands are up keep your hands up if you know the name of your grandfather keep your hands up if you know the name of your great-grandfather okay some hands are going down some are still up now, if it's still up, hopefully it's not just Mr. Jones or Mr. Brown or Mr. White, first name basis only. Keep your hands up. Great, great grandfather. Still up. Brilliant. But not many. Do you see that? If anyone is to remember the name of your ancestor, it will be you. Without your ancestor, there is no you. You exist because of them. They may have been extremely influential during their time or not. But if anyone is to remember them, it is you. You see, what that demonstrates, it's the frailty of human life, but a mist and soon forgotten. And so James, he says, proud plans, it is foolish. But now James, he's not saying here that we shouldn't plan at all. He's not saying don't plan, don't be organized. He's not saying that. There is great wisdom in planning, being organized, being prepared. I, for one, I, I am extremely grateful that I've got an organized wife, very organized planner. She organized our meals at home, our dinners. She cooks for a family of seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And this is how she gets organized and how she plans. And I understand that this may not be normal, but it's how she does it. Yvonne can cook about 30 dishes. How do you plan that? You just put it on a repeat, a monthly repeat on the calendar. And so on the first of every month, it's that same meal. On the second, it's brilliant. She sorts it all out. She buys the groceries. She doesn't bother me because I'm hopeless with all of that. It is brilliant, super organized, and that's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. But even those plans do not always go according to plan because there will be seasons and times when Yvonne's tired and sick, and so we don't eat what she planned. We eat instant noodles, and the plan goes into the bin. But what James is saying is planning is not wrong in and of itself. It is how we plan, and it is what we plan for. And what James teaches here is to plan humbly, recognizing that the future is not in our own hands, but it is in God's hands. And how do we plan humbly? Well, look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, 
we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will, that is, we submit our plans, our desires, our will to God's will. We want God's will to be done and not our own. Now, this is not simply saying that we must add the words, God willing, after every plan we make. I'll buy you a coffee, God willing. I might change my mind. Come over to my place for dinner, God willing. I might change. No, it's not saying that we need to add those words after every plan we make. Not at all. But it is an attitude of our heart. Do I submit my will, my desires, my plan to God's will? Do I submit my plans to him? Do I recognize that God's in control and I'm not? Do I desire that God's will be done and not mine? And James is also here not saying that we need to just say God willing like something that is trite or superstitious, like how people say touch wood. We're not to treat it like that at all. What God wants is the heart, not what we say. And so, by saying God willing, the whole point, or by thinking that and believing that in our hearts, the whole point is to recognize that if it is God's will, then it will be perhaps different to my will, and that is better. And so what James is saying here, whatever I plan, it will always be God's will that will prevail, whether I like it or not. Just like in that proverb, Proverb 19. Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And to not remember that in our own planning... To not remember that is to be proud. It is to boast. And it is not good at all. In fact, I find these next words extremely shocking. Look at verses 16 to 17 with me. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. I mean, what is it that comes to your mind when you hear the word evil? What comes to mind? To steal? To murder? To commit adultery? To be the drug lord? To be the mafia boss? That's evil. But what does James say here? It is the one who makes proud plans, who boasts. Isn't that shocking? James calls that evil. But why is it so bad? Why are such plans that perhaps all of us make from time to time? Why is it so bad? It is because it fails to recognize God. It is me-centered. It is my desires. It is me-centered instead of our church value that is God-centered. It is putting my purposes, my desires at the center of my life. And that is in defiance of God. And James says, that is evil. And so humble plans then means we desire God's will be done. Whatever plans we make, we desire God's will be done and not mine. We may plan this, but God may will that. And if God wills that, that is different to my planning of this, I will still trust that God's will is best. 
We might plan marriage. And that's perhaps many of you here. We might plan marriage, but God may will singleness instead to remind us that our identity is in Christ and that is enough. We may will and plan wealth, but God may will not wealth, but just enough so that we'll learn contentment. We may plan success, but God may will disappointments, failures, so that we learn humility. We may plan efficiency, getting things done quickly and my way, but God may will setbacks so that we'll learn patience. Humble plans. And so how do you plan? What do you plan? If whatever we plan, God's plan is the one that will prevail, then if you think about that point, it actually just makes sense then. What is God's plan? If God's plan is the one that will never fail, what is God's plan? You see, very often we get this wrong, the way we think about life and our plans. We often get it wrong because we think we've got an agenda in life. We've got a list of to-dos, the bucket list, whatever they might be. And we've got a list, our own agenda, and if we are a Christian, then God is featured on our agenda somewhere. Just like that young man I spoke to, God was number three. But for many people, God might be number five, number ten, number twenty. But what is that treating God like? A minister, a pastor from London, Rico Tice, he said this. He says this in one of his books. He said, We turn God into a divine waiter. He is there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with him on a Sunday. We put our order in via prayer. We might give a decent tip in the collection plate. But God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need. And we get furious with him if he doesn't deliver. I wonder how many of us treat God like that, a divine waiter. It can't be like that at all. And so you know what some Christians do? Well, some Christians see that, well, God is far more important than number 5 or 10 or 20. And so I'm going to put God first on my agenda. God is now first. But do you think that goes far enough? To have God first on my agenda. Sounds pretty good. But it doesn't go far enough. You see, if we are Christian, and we know that our life is not in our hands, but it is in God's hands, it's not about having God on my agenda. It is actually finding my place on God's agenda. He sets the agenda. The future is his. Our life is in his hands, not in mine. So I don't try to feature God in my agenda. I tear it up. And I find myself in God's plan. In God's agenda, God's cosmic plan for the entire world. It is God's will that is done, not mine. And so what's God's agenda? What is God's plan? Well, shock, horror. God's plan is not centered on us. It's not centered on you. The universe does not revolve around us, not around you. 
God's agenda centers on his own son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's a very different way of thinking about our life now. All your desires, all your to-do lists, all your bucket lists, all your agendas. It's a different way of thinking about it now because now it's about Jesus first. And why? Well, he's the one who made the universe. He's the creator, not us, not you, not me. He's the one who died on the cross for the world, not you, nor me. He's the saviour, not you, nor me. He is the Lord, not you, nor me. And so God's plan, God's agenda, centres on his son. But it is for our good. It is for our good, and that's why we saw in the first reading, why would Jesus knowing how terrifying and dreadful going to the cross and being crucified will be. Why would he do it? Now, he's not talking about the physical pain. The Gospels don't mention much about that. But it is the bearing on of the sins of all humanity and facing the wrath of God for the sins of all humanity upon himself. That was what he was dreading. In fact, that's what we see. The great distress in the garden, the anguish, the sorrow, Sweats of blood, Father, please take this cup away. But then what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And why? Why God's plan centered on his son? Would the son say such a thing? Because it is for our good. So that we can know God. So that we can come into the presence of God. So that we might have our sins forgiven, our shames washed clean. So that we might even be adopted into the family of God and have the right to be called children of the living God. And that's God's agenda. That's where we fit in. Not my agenda and finding God in there, but finding us in God's agenda. It is centered in Christ and it is for our good. And so if you actually understand that, it helps reshape, transform the way we think about our plans. Because if God did not even spare his own son for us, I wouldn't give up any of my child for anyone. If God did not spare his own son for us, even when things do not go according to our plans in life, we cannot ever think that God is withholding anything good from us. Never. And so how do we plan? Well, we humbly plan with great confidence that God's will will always be done, even if there are setbacks and disappointments. God's will will always be done. We humbly plan with great assurance that God's will will always be for our good, even if there will be failures, illnesses, sickness, we humbly plan with deep trust that God's will will always be best, even if there are sorrows and tears. A verse of scripture that, that I found so marvelous in showing how God's will will always prevail despite what it seems from our eyes and the eyes of the world. It's one I've been reflecting on a fair bit this past week and I, in fact, shared by the by the deathbed of one of ours. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we read this. Therefore we do not lose heart, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You see what that says? Whatever it might seem, God's plan will prevail. And for those who trust in him, inside they've been renewed day by day. And there is an eternal weight of glory to be seen. You see, God's plan, God's will should be what our desires be in our own planning because it is centred in Christ, it is for our good, and finally, it is to the glory of God. To the glory of God. And often, I suspect, it's perhaps not until you take a step back from your life and just think about and reflect on all that has happened in your life so far, however many years God has given you. Even as I reflect back on my life, how I got to this point, from the point of my parents leaving as refugees, coming, going to Indonesia, to Melbourne, the, the life I had growing up, the relationships I, I developed, the place I studied, the course I did, the job I did, where I ended up, you look upon all of that and you think, a lot of it was not part of my will or plan at all. But God's will was done. God's will was done. God was sovereign, in control, overseeing all that happened over my life, that he might be glorified, even in the life of a broken man. In fact, this past week, that point was just far more clearer. Far more clearer. One of the great privilege as a pastor is that you get to spend time with the dying by their deathbed. Sweet Dorothea, we spent Wednesday afternoon with her, Yvonne and myself. She spent quite a lot of that time, in fact, reminiscing over her life, reflecting, telling me stories where she went, stories of who she met, what she did, how she thought about God. She even shared a story which I found so profound. All these memories of her childhood, how do you remember that? But she did. She even shared a story of her, of her own birth and how that was somewhat miraculous that she survived that. As she was reflecting on her life, I was trying to share with her what I was reflecting on. Don't you see? Even before you believe, that was the hand of God. Sovereign. It wasn't your will. Moving from place to place, having relationships that didn't work out, it wasn't your will. But God's will was done. Protecting. Overseeing. Sovereign, in control, God's will was done in your life that he might be glorified. And so, just this past week, it made it a truth that was deeper and deeper in my own heart. Seeing what God has done in her life, in my life, and I suspect it is also true. In fact, it is true in your life too. God is in control, is centered in Christ. For your good, to the glory of God. And so what are your plans? What are your dreams? Well, whatever it may be, let not your will be done, nor my will be done, but that God's will be done. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... 
do thank you for your word to us. We pray, Lord, that you'll grant us a deep trust in your word and your promises, that you are indeed sovereign over all aspects and spheres of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to trust, even when life does not feel that way, that you are always good towards us and that it is always your will that is done. And so help us, Lord, to live as Christians where our desires, our plans, our ambitions will be in submission to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.